The Prince, Two Mice, and Some Kitchen Maids From Nine Unlikely Tales This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Corrie Samuel Nine Unlikely Tales by E. Nesbitt The Prince, Two Mice, and Some Kitchen Maids when the prince was born, the queen said to the king, My dear, do be very, very careful about the invitations. You know what fairies are. They always come to the christening whether you invite them or not. And if you forget to invite one of them, she always makes herself so terribly unpleasant. My love, said the king, I will invite them all. And he took out his diamond-pointed pen, and wrote out the cards on the spot. But just then a herald came in to bring news of war, so the king had to go off in a hurry. The invitations were sent out, but the christening had to be put off for a year. At the end of this time the king had subdued all his enemies, so he was very pleased with himself. The prince was a year old, and he was also pleased with himself, as all good babies are, and found the little royal fingers and toes a fresh and ever delightful mystery and the queen was pleased with herself, as all good mothers should be, so everything went merrily. The palace was hung with cloth of silver, and strewn with fresh daisies in honour of the great day, and after all had eaten and drunk to their heart's content, the fairies came near with the gifts they had brought to their godson the prince. "'He shall have beauty,' said the first, "'and wit,' said the second, "'and a pretty sweetheart,' said the third, "'who loves him,' said the fourth and so they went on, foretelling for him all sorts of happy and desirable things. And as each fairy gave her gift, she stooped and kissed the baby prince, and then, spreading her fine gossamer gauze wings, fluttered away across the rosy garden. The crowd of fairies grew less and less, and there were only three left, when the queen pulled the king's sleeve and whispered, "'My dear, where's Malevola?' "'I sent her a card.' said the king, casting an anxious look around him. "'Then it must have been lost on the way,' said the queen, "'or she'd have been here.' "'She is here,' said a low voice in the queen's ear. Suddenly the room grew dark, grey clouds hid the sun, and all the daisies on the floor shut up quite close. The poor queen gave a start and a scream, and the king, brave as he was, turned pale for Malevola was a terrible fairy, and the dress she wore was not at all the thing for a christening. It was made of spiders' webs matted together, dark and dank with the damp of the tomb and the dust of dungeons. Her wings were the wings of a great bat. Spiders and newts crawled round her neck, a serpent coiled about her waist, and little snakes twisted and writhed in her straight black hair. She looked at the queen so terribly that her poor Mother Majesty cried out without meaning to. "'Oh, don't!' she cried, and flung both arms round the cradle. The prince was quite happy, playing with his new coral and bells, and looking at the palace cat, who sat at the foot of the cradle washing herself. "'Now listen,' said Malevola, still speaking in the low, even voice that was so terrible. "'You did not invite me to the christening.' I've read my fairy tales, and I know what's expected of a fairy who's left out on an occasion like this. 
I intend to curse your son. Then all the kings and queens who had come to the christening wished they had stayed away, and they and all the court fell on their knees and begged Malevola for mercy. As for the three good fairies who were left, they hid behind the window curtains, and the court ladies, peeping between their fingers, said, Fancy deserting their godson like this! How unfairy-like! But the queen and the king only wept, and the prince played with his rattle and looked at the cat. Then Malevola said mockingly, Great king and mighty sovereign, Malevola was not good enough to be asked to your tea-party. But your family shall come down in the world. Your son shall marry a kitchen-maid, and marry a lady with four feet and no hands." A shiver of horror ran through the room, and Malevola vanished. Then, suddenly, the sun came out, and people lifted up their heads and dared again to look at each other. And the daisies, too, opened their eyes again. Then the good fairies came out from behind the window-curtains, and the poor queen fell on her knees before them. "'Can't you do anything?' she asked. "'Can't you undo what she says and make it untrue?' "'Not even a fairy can make a true thing untrue,' said the good fairies sadly. "'Malevola's words will come true, but the prince has already many gifts, and our gifts are yet to give, and these you shall choose. Whatever you wish shall be his.' Then the king, recovering a little from the terror into which the fairy Malevola had thrown him, and remembering how well he and his royal line had always borne them in battle, said at once, Let the boy be brave. He is brave, said one of the good fairies. He fears nothing. And at this the prince ceased to feel any fear of the palace cat. He put out his hand and pulled her tail so merrily that pussy turned and clawed the little arm till the blood ran. "'Oh, dear!' cried his mother. "'He is fearless, as you say. I wish he was afraid of cats, poor darling.' "'He is,' said the second fairy. "'You have your wish.' And, indeed, the prince screamed and hid his face, and shrank from the palace cat with such horror that the king pulled out his pencil and notebook and wrote an edict then and there, banishing all cats from his dominions. But all the same he was very angry.' "'Your Majesty has wasted one wish,' he said very politely to the Queen. "'Let us now leave the last gift in the hands of the last fairy.' The last fairy came and kissed the Prince, who was now sobbing sleepily. "'He shall be happy,' she said. "'He shall have his heart's desire.' Then she too vanished, and the kings and queens took their leave when their gold coaches came for them, and presently the king and queen were left alone, with the silver hangings, and the strewn daisies, and the baby. "'Oh, dear! Oh, dear!' said the queen. "'This is dreadful! A kitchen-maid! And a lady with four feet and no hands!' "'At least we are not likely to have a kitchen-maid with less than two hands,' said the king. "'We might arrange to have only titled kitchen-maids,' said the queen, timidly. "'The very thing!' the king answered, that would make the love affair all that one could wish. But there's still the marriage. Of course he'll marry the lady he loves. It's not the way of the world, said the king. At any rate, let's hope he'll love the lady he marries. Otherwise... Otherwise what? said the queen. We know nothing about otherwise, do we, my queen? 
he said, catching her round the waist. And in his love for his wife and his son, the king felt almost happy again, for here they were all three together, and when your son is in his cradle, his marriage seems very far off indeed. But the queen was anxious and frightened, and while the prince was still a child, she sent messengers to the courts of all the neighbouring kings and queens, to tell them what had been foretold, which indeed most of them knew, having been at the christening. And she begged such of them as had daughters, to send them as kitchen-maids, so the prince might at least fall in love with a real princess. And as the prince grew up, he was so handsome and so brave, fearing nothing but cats, which of course he never saw, though he dreamed of them often, and woke screaming, and also so brilliant and good, that his father's kingdom being beyond compare the finest in all the round world, the young daughters of kings vied with each other, as to who should find favour in the eyes of the queen-mother, and so get leave to serve in the kitchen, each nursing the hope, that some day the prince would see her, and love her, and perhaps even marry her. And he was very good friends with all the noble kitchen-maids, but he loved none of them, till one day he saw, at a window of the tower where the kitchen was, a bright face, and bright hair, tied round with a scarlet kerchief, and as he looked at the face, it was withdrawn. But the prince had lost his heart. He kept his secret safe in the place where his heart had been, and schemed and plotted to see this fair lady again. For when he went among the royal kitchen-maids, she was not there with them. And he looked morning, noon, and evening, but he never could see her. So then he said, I must watch her nights. Perhaps she is kept in prison in the tower above the kitchen, and at night those who watch her may sleep, and so I shall be able to talk to her. So he dressed in dark clothes, and hid in the shadow of the palace courtyard, and watched all one night. And he saw nothing. But in the early morning, when the setting moon and the rising sun were mixing their lights in the sky, he heard a heavy bolt shot back, and the door of the kitchen tower opened slowly. The prince crouched behind a buttress, and watched and he saw the fair maid with the bright hair under the red kerchief. She swept the doorstep, and she drew water from the well in the middle of the courtyard, and presently he crept to the kitchen window, and saw her light the fire, and wash the dishes, and make all neat and clean within. And the prince's eyes followed her in all she did, and the more he looked at her, the more he loved her. And at last he heard sounds as of folks stirring above, so he crept away, keeping close to the wall, and so back to his own rooms. And this he did again on the next morning, and on the next. And on the third morning, as he stood looking through the window at the girl with the bright hair and the bright kerchief, the gold chain he wore clinked against the stone of the window-sill. The maid started, and the bowl she held dropped onto the brick floor of the kitchen, and broke into twenty pieces and then and there she sat down on the floor beside it, and began to cry bitterly. The prince ran in and knelt beside her. "'Don't cry, dear,' he said. "'I'll get you another bowl.' "'It isn't that,' she sobbed. "'But now they'll send me away.' "'Who will?' "'The noble kitchen-maids. They keep me to do the work, because, being king's daughters, they don't know how to do anything. But the queen doesn't know that there is a real kitchen-maid here and now you have found out they will send me away." And she went on crying. "'Then you are a real kitchen-maid,' 
and not noble at all," said the prince. She stopped crying for a minute to say, No. Never mind, said the prince. You are twice as pretty as all the king's daughters put together, and twenty times as dear. At that she stopped crying for good and all, and looked up at him from the floor where she sat. Yes, you are, he said, and I love you with all my heart. And with that he caught her in his arms and kissed her, and the real kitchen-maid laid her face against his, and her heart beat wildly, for she knew what the king did not, and what indeed all the folk knew except the prince, that this had been foretold at his christening. But she knew also that though he loved her, he was not to marry her, since it was his dreadful destiny to marry someone with four feet and no hands. I wish I had no hands and four feet," said the real kitchen-maid to herself. I wouldn't mind a bit, since it is me he loves. What are you saying? asked the prince. I am saying that you must go, said she. If their kitchen highnesses find you here with me, they'll tear me into little pieces, for they all love you to a highness. And you, he whispered, how much do you love me? Oh, she answered. I love you better than my right hand and my left." And the prince thought that a very strange answer. He went through that day in a happy dream, but he did not tell his dream to any one, lest some harm should come to the real kitchen-maid. For he meant to marry her, and he had a feeling that his parents would not approve of the match. Now that night, when the whole palace was asleep, the real kitchen-maid got up and crept out past the sleepy sentinel, and went home to her father the farmer, and got one of his great white cart-horses, and rode away through the woods to the cavern where the great white rat sits sleeplessly guarding the magic cat's eye. And every one wondered why he guarded it so carefully, for it seemed to have no great value. But the great white rat watched it constantly, without ever closing one of those round bright rat-eyes of his and when folk sought to lay hands on it, he said, Be careful, it has the power to change you into a mouse. On which folk dropped it hastily, and went on their ways, leaving him still on guard. To him now went the little kitchen-maid, and asked for help, for he was thousands of years old, and had more wisdom between his nose and ears than all the books in all the world. She told him all that had happened. Now what shall I do? she said and the great white rat, never shifting his eyes from the magic cat's eye, answered, Keep your own counsel, and be contented. The prince loves you. But, said the real kitchen-maid, he is not to marry me, but a horrible creature with four feet and no hands. Keep your secret and be content, the great white rat repeated, and if ever you see him in danger from a lady with four feet and no hands, come straight to me. So the real kitchen-maid went back to the palace, and set to work to clean pots and pans, for now it was bright dewy daylight, and the night had gone, and before the rest were awake again her prince came to her, and vowed he loved her more than life. So she kept her secret, and was content. At the time of the prince's christening the king had banished all cats from the kingdom, because he could not bear to see his son show fear of anything. But now and then strangers, not knowing of the edict, brought cats to that country, 
and if the prince saw one of these cats, he was taken with a trembling and a paleness, standing like stone a while, and presently, with shrieks of terror, fleeing the spot. And it was now a long time since he had seen a cat. Now, soon after the prince had found out how he loved the real kitchen-maid, his father and mother died suddenly, as they were sitting hand in hand, for they loved each other so much that it was not possible for either to stay here without the other. So then the prince wept bitterly, and would not be comforted, and the court stood about him with a long face, wearing its new mourning, and as he sat there with his face hidden, something came through the palace gate, and up the marble stairs, and into the great hall where the prince sat on the steps of his father's throne, weeping, and, before the courtiers could draw breath, or decide whether it was court etiquette for them to do anything while the prince was crying, except to stand still and look sad, the creature came up to the prince, and began to rub itself against his arm. And he, still hiding his face, reached out his hand and stroked it. Then all the court drew a deep breath, for they saw that the thing that had come in was a great black cat. And the prince raised his eyes, and they looked to see him shrink and shriek, but instead he passed his hand over the black fur, and said, Poor pussy, then. And at these words the whole court fled, by window and door. The courtiers took horse, those who had carriages went away in them, those who had none went on foot, and in less than a minute the prince and the cat were left alone together. For the court was learned in witch-law and knowing the prince's horror of cats, it saw at once that a cat he was not afraid of was no cat at all, but a witch in that shape. Therefore the courtiers, and the whole royal household, fled trembling and hid themselves. All but the little real kitchen-maid. She saw with terror that the cat, or rather the witch in cat's shape, had done what no one else could do, roused the prince from his dull dream of grief, and then she remembered the fate which Malevola had foretold for him, that he should marry a lady with four feet and no hands. "'Alack a day!' she cried. "'This witch has four feet and no hands. But she can have hands whenever she chooses, and be a woman by her magic arts as easily as she can be a cat. And then he will love her, and what will become of me? Or worse, she may marry him only to torment him.' She may shut him up in some enchanted dungeon far from the light of day. Such things have happened before now." So she stood, hidden by the blue arras, and wrung her hands, and the tears ran down her cheeks. And all the time the black cat purred to the prince, and the prince stroked the black cat, and any one could have seen that he was every moment becoming more deeply bewitched. And still the real kitchen-maid crouched behind the arras and her heart ached that it knew no way to save him. Then suddenly she remembered the words of the great white rat. If ever you see him in danger from a lady with four feet and no hands, come straight to me. Now surely was the time, for the prince, she knew, was in desperate danger. The real kitchen-maid crept silently down the marble stairs, but once she was out of the palace she ran like the wind to the stable. No men were about there, all had followed the example of the court, and had run away when they heard of the strange coming of the witch-cat. And of all the many horses that had stood in the stable, 
only one remained, for each man in his fright had saddled the first horse that came to hand, and ridden off on it. And the one that still stayed there was the prince's own black charger. He had had no mind to be saddled in haste by a stranger, and had turned and bitten the stranger who had attempted it, so he was there alone. Now, the little kitchen-maid lifted the prince's gold-broidered saddle from its perch, and the weight of it was such that she could not have carried it but for the heavy heart she bore because of her love to the prince and his danger, and that made all else seem light. She put the saddle on the charger and the jewelled bridle, and he neighed with pleasure, for he understood, being a horse who could see as far into a stone wall as most people, and when he was saddled he knelt for her to mount, and then up and away like the wind, and she had no need to guide him with the reins, for he found the way and kept it. He galloped steadily on, and the sun went down, and the night grew dark, and he went on, and on, and on without stumble or pause, till at moonrise he halted before the house of the great white rat. Then, as the real kitchen-maid sprang down, the great white rat came out from his house and spoke. "'You've come for it, then?' "'For what?' "'The magic cat's eye. I've guarded it some thousands of years. I knew there would be a use for it at last. He may be saved yet, if someone should love him well enough to die for him.' "'I do that,' said the little kitchen-maid, and took the cat's eye in her hands. "'Swallow it,' said the white rat and you'll turn into a mouse." The little maid swallowed it at once, and, behold, she was a little mouse. "'What am I to do?' she asked. "'I can't tell you,' said the great white rat, "'but love will tell you.' So the little kitchen-maid, in the form of the mouse, ran up one of the horse's legs, and held tight onto the saddle with all her little claws and as the great horse galloped back towards the palace in the moonlight, she thought and thought, and at last she said to herself, The witch is in cat's shape, and she must have cat nature, so she will run after a mouse. She will run after me, and if I can lead her to a running stream, she will leap across it, and then she will have to take her own shape. That must be what the great white rat meant me to do, and if the cat catches me, well, at least if I can't save my prince, I can die for him." And the thought warmed her heart, as the great horse thundered on through the dawn light. When at last, creeping softly on little noiseless feet, the mouse kitchen-maid re-entered the great hall, she saw that she was only just in time, for the black cat was purring and looking back at the prince as she walked, waving her black tail towards the further door of the hall and the prince, more bewitched than ever, was slowly following her. Then the real kitchen-maid mouse uttered a squeak, and rushed across the porphyry floor, and the black cat, true to its cat nature, left purring at the prince, and sprang after the mouse, and the mouse, at its best speed, made for the garden, where ran the stream that fed the marble basins where the royal goldfish lived. The prince understood nothing save that the enchanting black furry creature was leaving him, and in an instant he was alone. He followed to the door, and saw the cat springing along the passage down the stairs. He followed fast, 
then along another passage that passed the foot of the back stairs, and he saw that the back stairs were like a waterfall. Water was running down in a torrent, and meandering away down the brick passage, and out into the faint new sunshine. When the mouse saw this stream, she thought, I'm saved! She never thought of wondering how a stream came to be running down the back stairs of the palace. When she came to think of it afterwards, she always believed that the great white rat had managed it somehow. She never knew that it was really a great flood from the royal bathroom, where the royal housemaid, in her eagerness to run away from the witch, had left all the royal bath-taps full on. The mouse bounded across the stream. The cat saw the danger, but she could not stop herself. She too crossed the stream, and as she crossed it she turned into the wicked fairy Malevola, cobwebs and snakes and newts and bat-wings and all. The prince put his hand to his head like one awakening from sleep, and the horrible fairy vanished suddenly and for ever. Then the mouse ran trembling to the prince, and in its thin little mouse's voice told him all. "'My love and my lady,' he said, holding the mouse against his cheek. "'I will marry you now. That will carry out the wicked fairy's prophecy. Then we will go back to the great white rat, and you shall be changed into a princess.' So the prince rang the church-bells, till all the people came out of their holes where they had been hiding to see the strange spectacle of a prince married to a mouse. And directly they were married they set off on the black charger, and when they reached the great white rat they told their tale. "'And now,' said the prince joyously, "'if you will change her into a lady again we will go home at once, and begin living happily ever after.' The great white rat looked at them gravely. "'It's impossible,' he said. I am sorry, but the effects of the magic cat's eye are permanent. Once a mouse, always a mouse, if you get moused by the magic cat's eye." The prince and the mouse looked sadly at each other. This was the last thing they had expected. The great white rat looked at them earnestly. Then he said, "'If it would be of any use to you, I've got another magic cat's eye.' He held it out. The prince took it gladly. Kingdom and the life of a king were nothing to him compared with the love and happiness of a real kitchen-maid disguised as a mouse. He put the stone to his lips. "'You know what'll happen if you do,' said the great white rat. "'I shall change into a mouse and live happy ever after,' said the prince gaily. "'Perhaps,' said the great white rat, "'nothing is impossible if people love each other enough.' "'You mustn't!' cried the mouse, trying to get between his lips and the cat's eye. "'My dear little real kitchen-maid,' said the prince tenderly, "'you have saved my life, and you are my life. I would rather be a mouse with you than a king without you.' And with that he swallowed the cat's eye, and two small mice stood side by side before the great white rat. Very kindly he looked at them. Then he pulled a hair from his left whisker, and laid it across their little brown backs. And on the instant there stood up a prince and a princess, and at their feet lay the little empty mouse-skins. "'It's lucky for you,' said the great white rat, "'that you chose to swallow the cat's eye, because people who have been moused by that means can never be unmoused, 
except in pairs. Nothing is impossible if people only love each other enough. So the prince and his bride returned to the palace, and lived happy ever after. They were as happy as if they had been mice, which, in a country where there are no cats, is saying a good deal. Of course, the prince is still afraid of cats. But the curious thing is that now his wife is afraid of them too. Perhaps she learnt that lesson when she was a mouse for his sake. He, when he was a mouse for hers, learned this lesson, which is also the moral of this story. Nothing is impossible if people only love each other enough. End of The Prince, Two Mice, and Some Kitchen Maids